0: Podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. We're gonna be in the book of uh, Colossians here this morning. Colossians chapter number four. And uh I know we got some guests here with us, and so glad that you're here. If we could be a blessing and a help to you, love to do that. But uh, we've been working our way here through the book of Colossians, and uh, we're just about ready to wrap up Colossians 4 here this morning. And uh, these are the final last words of encouragement that Paul has uh, for this uh, church at Colossae. And it it really looks like on the the surface of it, you know, just kind of like, hey, greeting you here, saying hello, greet so-and-so. Uh, But really when we start to dig into it a little bit, uh, Paul is actually reminding us and this church of the task that we all have been commissioned to by our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is to go into all the world and uh, go and make disciples. And that's what our mission is. And so we're going to talk a little bit about living on mission here this morning, about partnering with God in that mission. And if you remember last week we talked a little bit about this prayer that uh, Paul, you know, made mention of, he, he told him to continue steadfastly in prayer. Um, and that's where living on mission actually begins, is praying, partnering with God, recognizing that, yes, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the labors are few. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he'll send forth labors into his harvest. And uh, that's what we should be really praying for. And so we have this command uh, to go and make disciples. And uh, those are some things that uh, we should be uh, doing all of that. So we must remember uh, our command uh, for that. And, you know, God has uniquely planted you in a specific location. He's planted you uh, at the job that you work. He's planted you at the school that you attend. He's planted you with the family, believe it or not. Uh, that you're a part of, and he's even planted you exactly in the same neighborhood, uh, the neighborhood that he wants you to be in. And uh, that's all for the purpose of going and making disciples. You know, and if you're thinking, you know, Mike, uh, that's, that's hard. I, I, can't, I can't do that. Well, the truth is, yeah, absolutely, you're right. You can't, but he can And the Lord uh, Jesus reminds us that he will be with us always, even until the very end of the age. And you have the power of the Holy Spirit um, living inside of you. You have the power of the Word of God uh, to go and make disciples. So we have this command here, this uh, remembrance of this. So how are we going to make disciples? Well, I've seen some pretty crazy things in my uh, years of being in ministry, um, and I've even actually participated and promoted some of these uh, things in in making disciples and, and witnessing to people. I've I've seen the silent approach. Many say, you know, well, I don't really have the, the gift of evangelism or the gift of gab. You know, I have a real hard time having conversations with people, so I'm just going to live out my Christian life in such a way that, uh, you know, people will just be astounded by my my Christianity, and boy, they're just going to call upon the Lord Jesus. Well, I'm sorry, Um, you know, if you have that kind of approach, you're really going to have to live your life better than Paul and Jesus ever did because not only did they live that type of life, but they also spoke of the gospel. And so you're going to have to live your life a lot better than they ever did if it's your approach and a silent approach uh, in that Type of living. And then there's also the salesman approach. I participated and taught this for several years. Um, I've, church that I was at previously, I was in charge of outreach. And so uh, I was in charge of making sure that our whole neighborhood uh, where we lived there was uh, completely canvassed with gospel materials. Uh, I I led teams in going out uh, two by two, knocking on doors, you know. I uh, had the all the approach uh, made up, you know, what you say, how you say it, how to close the sale at the door, you know, type stuff, um, you know, and the whole point was just to get people to pray a prayer, and I found that to be very disastrous, uh, because in reality, you're not really building relationships with people, and I found that a lot of people just pray a prayer so they'll get you off their porch, okay, so uh, that really wasn't helpful at all. But God's word tells us that we need to go and make disciples. And there's actually a way that I believe that we can do that that's not weird, okay? Uh, That we can share uh, God's good news of the gospel with those that uh, need to hear about it. And so... Paul is going to give us some helpful advice here on how to actually do that in these verses that we're going to look at here in our text. So let's read our text here in Colossians. It says here, "...continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison." That I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So Paul helps us understand what making disciples involves. In verse 5, he talks about conducting yourselves, right? Right? Literally, walk, that's your walk, how you live your life. And so in verse 5, he says, walk with wisdom towards outsiders. And then in verse 6, he says, talk with grace. Walking without the talk won't communicate the necessary content of the gospel. And talking without the walk will cause the world to scoff at Christians as a bunch of hypocrites. So we need to both have both of those, both our walk and our talk, if we are going to be effective in making disciples. And so here's what I want to take away with you today. Live on mission by walking in wisdom and talking with grace. Live on mission by walking in wisdom and talking with grace. So let's take note here a couple things here. Number one, pray for open doors to make disciples. Notice what Paul writes again here. He says, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. If we are going to live on mission and make disciples, we need to be praying for open doors to do so. We talked about this briefly, about how Paul was asking for open doors uh, for the Word and for the doors to be open for the the declaration of the Gospel. What are these open doors? Specifically, they are open doors for the Word and open doors for the declaration of the Gospel. Practically, however, how can we recognize what an open door is? If God did open a door for you to declare the gospel, would you recognize it? How would you know? I mean, chances are sometimes God opens some interesting doors, does he not? Sometimes the doors that he opens, he he does so in such a way that we think, that's really not what I thought should have happened. I can remember when we were uh, living back there in Ohio, we were remodeling our house And uh, one of the things that we needed to have done is we needed our roof replaced. And we couldn't get really a lot of the other stuff done in the house because the roof needed to get replaced first. Well, guess what? We were short of funds to have the roof replaced. So what did we do? Boy, we were praying about it. God, we'd really love for you to uh, provide for us to be able to, to get this roof replaced. And you know what happened one day? I was out driving, and I get a phone call from my neighbor. Mike, you need to get over to your house right now. Your house is on fire. Huh? What? I call my wife. She was at work, and I say, Jamie, our house is on fire. Boy, we're going, what in the world, right? So we leave, and we go over to their house. Of course, our neighbors are all out there. They got the lawn chairs out. They're watching. You know, it's like a big show, right? But what had happened, actually, it was so crazy, Right? The, the fire department was there, and yes, our house was on fire. I don't know. There was no flame shooting out or anything like that. But our neighbor saw smoke coming out from the outside wall. And so they called the fire department. Well, what had happened earlier that morning? Lightning had struck, and it had hit a nail that was on the exterior of our house, and it caught the shingles. We had wood shingles, cedar-shaped shingles. They caught it on fire, and it just kind of smoldered a little bit, and that's the smoke that she saw. So in doing so, now, if you would have saw the exterior of her house, she would have said, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, no wonder why that place is on fire, right? But the the thing, it was so horrible, right? Like, it it looked horrible on the outside. So, of course, we had an insurance adjuster came in because they kicked in the front door and stuff like that. So we had an insurance adjuster come in, and he was looking at everything. He's going, oh, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah. okay, all right. Well, all right, I'm going to have to quote you on uh, what it's going to cost to, to repaint the exterior of the house. And I'm going, I don't care about the exterior of the house. I just want my front door replaced. Well, did you know the money that we got to replace the, ex- to paint the exterior of the house paid for the roof? You see what I'm saying? Like, God does things in a different way that we never thought that they would do them. So the open doors that we are praying for and should be praying for, are sometimes come in ways that we never expect them to. And so would you recognize an open door when it actually came into place? No doubt there are doors that I would call divine appointments. A divine appointment is a meeting with another person that God has specifically and unmistakably arranged. These are opportunities that God brings into our lives where a person is open to listening to what you have to say. It could be because of a crisis that they uh, have and they turn to you for help. The Holy Spirit sets up such encounters because someone needs what he can offer them through you you are one conversation away from God bestowing his favor upon them as you act as his channel of blessing. Often that encounter will be with someone you have never met before. These are what appear to be random situations and unplanned, and in these situations, God has brought an individual into your life for a brief moment in a particular situation for the purpose to declare Christ and be a witness for him. Psalm 37, 23 reminds us the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Often divine appointments can come in the form of a delay, a change of plans, frustrations, and even intrusions. Sometimes God uses detours so we can do something different or new for him. Consider Paul's trip to Philippi in Acts chapter 16. He had gone to Macedonia because of a God-directed vision as what verses 9 and 10 tell us. But however, while in Macedonia, he has a detour. Where does it take him? He winds up in prison. But even that trip in jail was God-led because God used Paul to bring salvation to a jailer and his family in verses 25 through 34. The story of Philip and the eunuch that is recorded for us in Acts chapter 8, Verses 26 through 39 is a very beautiful illustration, I believe, of someone who encounters God that was not necessarily planned. We see how God orchestrates for the Christian who walks in the Spirit, and Philip could have ministered just to the crowds in the cities and villages, but God sent him to the desert for a divine appointment with a single individual. Our Lord Jesus even had a divine appointment, as Scripture tells us, that he had to go through Samaria so he could speak with the woman at the well in John chapter number 4. So is this what Paul is talking about here, praying for these open doors? It could be. But I, leave, I believe that there is something greater at work here. And yes, I believe God has divine appointments and open, specific opportunities for us to share the gospel with individuals But I believe that by sharing the gospel, it's not just a a a once-in-a-while type thing. I believe that we ought to be sharing the gospel continually, always. It should just be a natural part of our life. Living on mission and making disciples involves the everyday rhythms of life. God has so uniquely planted you where you are for a purpose to make disciples. Making disciples is not something that we do additionally. Making disciples should be intentional. This is why we should be praying for open doors to make disciples in the everyday rhythms of life. What are these rhythms of life? Your meal time, where you work, where you live, your neighborhood, your neighbors, same places you frequent, parks, grocery stores, banks, what you do at your house, in and outside, extracurricular activities, schools your kids go to. These things are already the natural rhythms of life that you know. They're not something strange or something that you're not familiar with. You're already familiar with them. And these rhythms can be used to declare Christ. Are we praying for open doors for opportunities to make disciples as you declare Christ? Now, please listen to me carefully because this is not a, hey, let's get together for a Bible study. This is not a, I'm going to drive around in my soccer mom van plastered with gospel bumper stickers at my kids' game and blare my Christian music. This is not even a, I'm going to invite them to my church. God has so orchestrated your life for you to be the one who declares Christ through the natural rhythms of life in the open doors that he's already providing for you so how are we going to do that well in a nutshell we have to invite people into our lives you have to become vulnerable you have to be willing to invite people into your life to where you live you see it's one thing to say hey hi we'd love to have you come over here and join us over here for church well guess what they don't know actually how you live. <laughs> they may see how you live at church, but how do you live at home? How, have they, how can they actually see the gospel having a transformative power in your life if all they see is in one hour, in one day, in one week? You have to invite them in. Isn't that what our Lord Jesus did? What did he do? He spent time with the publicans and sinners, didn't he? In fact, he spent so much time with the publicans and sinners that what did they accuse him of? Being a glutton and being a wine-bibber. He had so much time with individuals that he invited them in on a journey. And you see, that's what we have to do as well. We have to be praying for open doors, that God would open doors for us to invite people in to our lives. Are we doing that? As we live our natural rhythms of life in light of the gospel, we declare the gospel through our words and is evidenced in our walk. We are inviting outsiders in to join us in on this journey. Because notice what Paul says in verse number five. Walk in wisdom towards who? Outsiders. They're outside. But can I tell you, these people that are the outsiders, these are people that are, are already leaning into your life. These are people that you know already. They're not like some stranger that you never met. These are people that you already know. They are your neighbors whom you live next door to. You say, but Mike, you don't understand my neighbor. Show them how the gospel has transformed your life. Right? This is what it's about. This is the person at the bank, the teller that you always talk to. They're always there. They know you by name. It's like cheers. Everybody knows your name, right? Okay? You walk in. They already know who you are. You already have a conversation with them. And remember, this is not about being weird. This is you inviting them in to your life, okay? getting to know them, building relationships, and showing how the gospel transformed your life and how it can transform their life as well. You're inviting them in on a journey. I'm going to give a little plug here for uh, one of our fellow elders here, Alan. He's planned uh, this year for three times throughout this year for you to actually learn how to do discipleship and to make disciples. Uh, And Hopefully I got these dates right. There's uh, going to be one on April 29th, uh, one on July 29th, and the third is September 30th. Okay? These are going to be opportunities for you to actually learn how to do some of this stuff. But pray. Pray for open doors for you to be welcoming people in to your life, that God would would bring people into your life, so that way you can make disciples. And I must say that this is not a one-and-done type thing, okay? Making disciples is a lifelong journey. How many years did our Lord Jesus spend with his disciples? Actually, let me show you something really interesting. Turn over to the book of Matthew. Check out Matthew chapter 28. Our Lord Jesus has resurrected from the grave. I mean, that's astounding. He has shown himself alive, as what uh, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us. Uh, he, he showed himself alive to over 500 people at one time. They saw the resurrected Lord Jesus. After, our, after Jesus resurrected, he spent 40 days with his disciples. 40 days. They saw him eating. They saw him drinking. They saw him walking through walls. Right? They, they saw all this stuff. And here he is, the very last words before he sends to his father. He gives them some words. Now check out verse number 16, Matthew chapter 28. It says, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Uh-oh. But some doubted. Whoa. These are his disciples. They spent... 40 days with the resurrected Lord Jesus, and some of them are still doubting. Making disciples is a lifelong process. It's inviting people in on a journey, declaring the gospel to them. It's not one and done, okay? The gospel is still good news for even us that have believed. It's still changing us. It's still transforming us. You know, there are many areas in my life that I still doubt. God is helping me to turn from unbelief to belief in all areas of my life. Is that happening in your life? It's continual. It's a continual process. More and more and more and more and more. And you're inviting people in on that journey. So pray for open doors to make disciples. Let's look at a second thing here. Now, Paul gives us some very practical help here about making disciples. Notice what he says here. Make disciples by walking in wisdom. As we live in these natural rhythms of life, we need to be walking in wisdom. Your translation may read, Con, uh, conduct yourself, same thing, walk or conduct yourselves. is really a, a favorite metaphor of Paul. Now take your Bible and follow along here with me and see how Paul uses this word here, okay? In, uh, for example, in Colossians 1, 9 uh, through 10, he prays that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing the knowledge of God. Um, take a look here at uh, Colossians uh, chapter 2. Verse number 6, he says this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Uh, If you're there in Colossians, just turn back a couple books over there to the book of uh, Ephesians. You'll see some of these things here. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, 2. He says, in which you once walked. right? This used to be your past life before you knew Christ. You once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Uh, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Ephesians 2:10, he says, "For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them." Uh, Ephesians chapter four, verse number one. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called." Ephesians 4:17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Ephesians 5.2, he says, uh, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to sin. Ephesians 5.8, he tells this, he says, For at one time you were in darkness, but now you have the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light. And also in Ephesians uh, four uh, verse, or, or excuse me, five uh, verse number fifteen, he says, "Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise." So what does this mean to walk in wisdom? Paul says your manner of life, the way that you live your life, how you conduct yourselves. If we are going to be living on mission, if we are going to be making disciples, we better make sure we have a good walk and be walking in wisdom. And so this wisdom here, it's a steady way of life that is headed in a particular direction. Wisdom in the Old Testament comes from a word that, uh, that we find the word skill. It was used to describe the craftsmen who built the tabernacle. They had wisdom. They had a particular skill in what they were doing. And so just as a carpenter has the skill to take rough uh, materials and craft a beautiful piece of furniture... Spiritual wisdom is the skill to build a beautiful, godly life. Proverbs 9.10 states that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Colossians 2.3, Paul says that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He also exhorted us in Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. Within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And so wisdom comes from fearing the Lord, knowing Christ and letting his word richly dwell within you. So walking in wisdom then is having and living your life according to the word of God. So if we are going to be walking in wisdom, making disciples... That means we better make sure that our lives are matching up with the word of God. That they are living in accordance to the word of God. Because there are outsiders out there that are watching into your life. And we're praying for open doors for the Lord to allow us to make disciples. And we better make sure that we are walking in wisdom. Showing how the gospel has transformed our lives in every area of our life. When Paul says that we are to walk with wisdom towards outsiders, he means that we are to live in line with God's word so that those who are not Christians will see the beauty of our lives and relationships that reflect Jesus Christ. Does your life reflect that? Is it reflecting that? They ought to be able to see how the gospel is transforming your life. They should see the fruit of the Spirit in us, which should draw them to the Savior. People are watching us. Witness is always an overflow of our walk, always. And so we must learn to walk with wisdom towards outsiders. And I want you to see the beauty of this that Paul states here. Notice what he says here. What are we to be praying for? Open doors. Open doors. We are praying for opportunities to declare Christ, to make disciples. And so there is this connection here between our prayer life, right, verses 2 through 4, and our public witness with our walk, verses 5 and 6. You see the connection there? Pray for open doors to declare Christ. And as you do that, make sure your walk is lining up with the Word. Because we've got to be making disciples. A private walk with God in prayer is the foundation for verbal witness. And if we are going to walk wisely towards outsiders, we must know how to wisely reach them. Before you talk to a person about God, talk to God about that person. We've got to be praying for open doors. In his book, Concentric Circles of Concern by Oscar Thomas Uh, In the book, he teaches that the most effective uh, evangelism takes place in the context of loving relationships where lost people can see the changes that Jesus Christ is making in your life. He teaches to make a list of the people in what he calls concentric circles of concern. You're at the center of that circle. And you've got to be right with God before you can be his witness. And moving outward into those other circles of life, okay? In your immediate family, your relatives, close friends, neighbors, business associates, acquaintances, and finally person X. That's the person you don't even know. But God has placed you in different spheres of influences, different circles. And as you live your life in connection with the gospel, you have these relationships, people that are already leaning into your life. And so make use of those so that way you can make disciples as you invite them in. We often think of witnessing as going out on the street to person X whom we don't know and probably will never see again. And there's nothing wrong with telling person X that you've never met, don't even know about the gospel, declaring Christ. There's nothing wrong with that. But you don't have to be a living a consistent Christian life to witness to person X. And because person X doesn't know you, he may not be impressed with the changes that Christ has made in your life. And that's why your gospel witness, when you invite people into your life, is going to have more of an impact because they'll actually see how you live. They'll actually see how you talk to your wife. They'll actually see how you treat your children. They'll actually see how you manage your home, which we've got to be inviting people in. Welcome them in. We got to show them the peace of Christ. You got to demonstrate a cheerful attitude of joy of Christ. When everything else is going wrong on the job, you got to show that Christ is your peace. That's why thankfulness and prayer is important, as he says here in verse number two, right? Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. A life of thankfulness stems from submitting your life to God's sovereign hand. And so Paul says here that uh, we gotta make sure that we are that we are being disciple that we are that we are making disciples and with these open doors, whatever opportunities that God gives us. In fact, in Philippians 2, 14 through 15, Paul says that if you don't grumble and complain, you'll stand out as lights in this grumbling and complaining world. And so if you begin your day with thankful prayer and you exclude uh, that Thankful attitude throughout the day, those around you will notice. They'll take notice of that. And it opens the door for making disciples as you declare Christ. Now, notice also how we are to walk in wisdom. Look what he says here, making the best use of the time. Making best use of the time. Now your translation may read, make the most of every opportunity. But what does that actually mean? What does it mean to make the best use of your time? Uh, I remember watching some old John Wayne movies. Burning daylight. Come on, got to get up. Burning daylight. Is that what he's talking about here? Burning daylight? The phrase can also be translated as buy up the time or redeem the time. You see, God may give you unlimited love, unlimited mercy, and even unlimited grace. But all of us in here, have, really, we don't have unlimited time. We only have a few short, short amount of time. That's all we got. So how are we going to make the best use of our time? We got to make the most of it. You need to make the most of it at your workplace, when you're with your family and friends. Make the most of it because of the opportunities God gives you because they are not unlimited. And so in order to redeem our time and make the most of our opportunities, we must be conscious of opportunities to share the gospel. That's what it means to make the most of our opportunities. And so the foundation for buying up opportunities really For our witnesses, prayer for God to open doors for the word to declare the gospel. Are we making time for that? So pray for God to give you gospel opportunities with people you have uh, frequent contact with, people that are already leaning into your life. And so the second that he opens a door for you, you're ready to walk through it and use it for his glory. Paul asked for prayer, right, that he would open these doors for this. Open these doors. Open these doors. Are we praying for that? And so if we're going to be buying up these opportunities, that means when you buy something, it usually involves a cost, does it not? It means you're going to have to make a choice of what's more important. This or that. Today, not today. It involves a cost. Let me ask you a question. Can you put a value on time? can't. You know, we we live our lives in, in, in seconds, in minutes, hours, days, right? Like, that's how we live our life. What time is it? Oh, lunchtime. Right? I mean, that's how we live our life. But Paul says we need to be buying up these opportunities. Now, it's interesting here. I want to show you something very interesting about this word that he uses about time. He's not using the word time like we think of it as hours and minutes and seconds and so forth and so on. That's chronos. That's the, that's the word that we get our, our word chronological, Okay, chronological time. Okay? Paul actually uses a very different, different word here. Okay? The word he uses here has to deal with precise moments, decisions. There are people in our lives that are going through very precise moments of decision in their life. Could be a real hard time that they're going through. It could be they lost their job. It could be they're going through a divorce. It could be they're having marital issues. It could be they're, they're having uh, some deathly ill situation going on in, in their health-wise. But there are precise moments that are happening in their life. And Paul says those are the opportunities that we need to be buying up. Okay, There are people that could already be leaning into your life, that are going through very difficult, hard situations in their life right now. And you need to be buying up those opportunities to declare Christ in their life. That's what Paul says we need to be doing. And so we need to make disciples here by walking in wisdom. Are we doing that? Here's the last thing. Make disciples by speaking grace. As we live in these rhythms of life, asking off our open doors, as we are inviting people in our lives and showing them how the gospel is and transforming our life, we are buying up these opportunities to declare Christ at every rhythm of life, and the result of that will be people asking questions. Look at verse number 6. Look what he says here. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. These are people that are leaning into your life now, right? You, you're, you've shown them the gospel's transformed your life. You're declaring the gospel in every rhythm of life, and now they are asking questions. How are you going to answer them? And so, making disciples is more than lifestyle evangelism. It not only includes our life, but it also must include our lips. What we say, how we say it, it is our speech. And so, if we're going to be missional towards those who are outsiders, we must carefully weigh our words in order to get the optimum effect. Our words must be strategic because there is power in our words. In fact, listen to what Jesus says about this in Matthew 12, 36-37. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken, for by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. And so we better know how to say it. Notice the things he says here. How do we say it? Our speech must be gracious, seasoned with salt, and we must know how to answer each person. So what does all that mean next week? Pick this up. But I want you to be praying for open doors, looking for those opportunities that God already has in your life that people are leaning in that you can invite into your life, okay? Let's pray together.